Hi, I'm Kim Goodling, Shepherd at Vermont Grandview Farm. Basically, I am pretty crazy about sheep. In fact, I'm so crazy that I started an online school offering courses to small farms and shepherds who are just as crazy as I am. So if you're thinking of starting your own flock of sheep and want some help, or if you're a small farm and you would like some help marketing your products, then hop over to vermontfarmschool.com and I bet I've got a course for you. Bah! Welcome to Local Wool, a podcast for conscientious makers. I'm Anastasia Williams, and this is episode 11. Today, I'm going to actually be presenting something a little bit different than normal. We typically talk about the sheep themselves and the breeds um, and some of the specifics of their fleeces. But today, we're going to talk about a different aspect of shepherding, which is livestock guardian llamas. So if you have any feedback on this, if you like this kind of topic, you can feel free to reach out to me. Um, on Instagram or on Facebook or via my email or my website, which is www.woolandie.com. And I appreciate anything that you have to offer. Now, on to the show. Today joining me, I have Brenda Harding of Wolf Creek Farm in LaPorte City, Iowa. Brenda, thank you so much for joining me. Hi, I'm glad to be here. All right, so just to kind of get started, um, can you tell us just a little bit about kind of yourself, what you do, your farm, that kind of stuff? Certainly. So I've done a lot of different things as an adult. Um, Right now, I am a seventh grade language arts teacher. And honestly, that takes up a lot of my time except in the summer when I'm able to do more things, you know, for fun and on the farm. Um, Back, I'm trying to think, in 2001, um, I left a job um, at a newspaper in Waterloo, Iowa, and came home and actually had a year that I worked on the farm with my husband. And that was probably, even though I grew up on a farm, Um, That was one of the best educations that I've had is just, you know, the day-to-day working on the farm and working with the animals. And so I learned a lot from that. And during that time, um, I decided to go back to school to become a teacher. And we had two young boys, very active in school, sports, that kind of thing. And we got into llamas and CVM sheep. Wow. And it's kind of grown from there. <laughs> <laughs> and do you guys have just other than 
Um, do you have anything other than sheep and llamas as far as livestock goes, or do you also have um, crops as well? My husband farms about 900 acres. Um, his mother owns the majority of the acres. And he also raises, he, he now with our oldest son, um, have a uh, cattle. And they, they have about right now, I think 150 cows that they, and you know, have babies every year and they feed them out. So yeah, they're pretty busy with that. And we started with the llamas because we had um, coyote problems. And our insurance agent actually suggested the llamas. We didn't know anything about them. And she knew someone that was looking for someone to take a llama. Um, their son had trained it in 4-H and he was just moving on to other things. And she thought this might be a good match for us. So we got Jake. <laughs> and we we still have Jake. He is 19 years old. Wow. And when we got him, he was about two. And our oldest son, Matthew, um, showed him at our local county fair and did really well with him. And I even for a while had a blog. Um, I wrote about Jake the Naughty Llama because <laughs> <laughs> we had so many different things. And of course, we learned a lot from Jake, you know, just like with your first child, you know, poor thing. We, we do things, we think we're doing what's best and maybe it's not always the best thing and we try things. And so Jake was kind of our tester. And so I learned a lot from Jake and he's still with us. He, he's had, we think he's had a stroke because um, his face isn't, quite as symmetrical as what it used to be but he still is a happy llama he's much happier now than what he was when we were trying to do all these different things with him but we learned a lot from Jake so yeah that's how we started with llamas wow that's really that's really fun actually I don't know that I, llamas would have well llamas have never jumped out to me as being an option for livestock guardians either. So did you initially get them to go in with cattle or was it always intended to go in with the sheep? We wanted them for the cattle because with the coyotes, we lived like a mile from the river. And so we would have coyotes that would come up and, um, you know, mess around with the herd. And, you know, one coyote's not so bad, but when there's a whole you know, group of them together, they can cause some damage. And we had calves that were actually disappearing. And so once we got Jake, we kind of got a quick little, um, you know, a little tutorial from somebody. Well, yeah, just take him around and walk him around the perimeter of um, the pasture that you want him to be in and then just kind of let him go. Well, we did that, but Jake was so excited to be with the cattle that when my husband let him go, he tore off running, and those cattle had been spooked from coyotes, and here's this odd creature that they had never seen before. <laughs> they took off running. They actually went through two different 
electric fences. <gasps> and I know it was a disaster. So we learned a lot from that experience right, right off the bat. <laughs> yeah. So Jake, we found out, wasn't like the best for guarding, but we also figured out that our introduction wasn't the best for them. So we've learned a lot. And of course, then we got hooked up with some local people and it really, um, it really helps if you can get the llama from someone that, you know, has guard llamas themselves and can give you some tips and some pointers. Um, so that's what we did. We found someone that could help us and they sold us a llama that actually he was the best llama we ever had. Um, llamas actually, you don't teach them to be guards. They come by it naturally. It's something that they're just, you know, able to do. And some of the best guard llamas that we've had and that we have sold to others have been those kind of that are standoffish a little bit, the kind of stand in the back of the, you know, group, and they are just watching and checking everything out. And they're, sometimes they're even maybe a little on the nervous side. They're not always in your face, friendly, kissy, you know, I want to be your friend. The best ones that we've had are the ones um, that, you know, aren't going to be your best friend because you do want them to be a worker. You want them to be a guard. So we've come up with some things to kind of help people um, when they take a guard llama home, you know, things that they should do. So, wow. yeah. That's really, that's really interesting. So how long have you guys been um, breeding as the, um, with the llamas? Sure. So I think it was in 2002 or 2003, we got our first female and she already had a baby by her side. Um, and then it was probably a year or two after that, that we bought our first stud. So, you know, it's been 15, 16 years, something like that, that we've been breeding. Um, yeah. Um, and what we really have found is, and it doesn't matter, but it depends on what you want for a guard. Um, we love to have light wool llamas. In other words, they don't have a lot of, you know, fiber on their body, especially like in their front on their neck or in between their legs and down their legs. Because what can happen is if they're an honest to goodness guard, they will probably be, you know, in with other animals. They'll be maybe even in a timber. They'll be, you know, in pasture and they won't, you won't have the time, you won't want to pull them out for, you know, a few hours or a day to groom them and, you know, to get cockleburs out and all of that kind of thing that they're going to be exposed to. So we really like to sell people lighter wool animals because they're a lot more maintenance free and they'll be cooler and they, they just seem to do better for people. Okay. That makes sense. Um, so with the, the fiber themselves, I guess, does, do you ever utilize like the, the llama fiber on like in your flock, I guess? Sure. Yeah. Um, every spring we shear our llamas. 
Um, we've shown some llamas in the past as well, and we always need to give them another haircut before they go into the show ring. Um, but usually it's just once a year. Now we actually have one guard llama. He's such light wool that we didn't have to share him for three. I think this was the third year. So yeah, it just depends on each llama. But as far as when we shear them, um, there are some llamas we have been kind of breeding to improve our fiber as well. Um, but the light wool is going to have a different, the, I mean, when I'm talking about light wool llamas, I'm talking about the traditional, the classic llamas. Um, their fiber is not as soft typically, and it's going to have a lot of guard hair. And oh, sure. Yeah. And yes, every fiber that, you know, you shear, it can be used for something. So whether it's just for rugs or if it's for anything in between all the way up to like next to the skin softness, you know, for garments, scarves, that kind of thing. Um, it just depends. So what's kind of happened in the United States is, and I think this was in the, Mm, the early 20th century when they started importing some they had different import times from South America and they would let some in and then they would shut it off and not export some and so some of the very first llamas that came they were they were very light wool and their their hair was like pretty crappy <laughs> mm. most people wouldn't keep it and so what's happened is throughout, you know, the decades, different imports would come in and from different countries in South America, and some of them would have nicer fiber and some of them wouldn't. And so a lot of the breeders, the people that have had llamas, they wouldn't always breed um, animals that maybe should have been bred together. And so we have a lot of like inter mingling of a lot of different genes uh -huh. and so a lot of what we've been doing the last 10 or 15 years in the llama industry is try to kind of um, get back to knowing what you're going to get when you breed and so we're breeding like to improve conformation which is their body structure or we're breeding to improve their fiber so we can use their fiber um, or we're you know breeding for a larger size um, that kind of thing so what happens is with llamas especially when we first started in llamas you could breed a couple a male to a female and you had no idea what that baby would be like it was like a wild card every time um, and of course because the genetics are just so jumbled up um, and so color still sometimes can be a wild card because you just don't know what you may get so the llama industry has been really wanting people to you know breed so you kind of get more of a consistency and that makes sense too as far as you know, what are you breeding for? What do you want? What do you expect? You know, it, it makes sense when you think about like cattle, for example, um, or for sheep, you know, you, you breed like to like, 
and you want to improve on whatever it is that, that you're breeding for. Mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of where the llama industry has been going, has been trying to kind of get that back so where we kind of have an idea of what we may end up with um, for, for our baby llamas. Oh, so, sure. Yeah. So kind of more like a, like a standardization, really. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. And just as a, a throwaway question, I guess, but the, in case anybody has this question, is what's the difference between llama versus alpaca? Okay. Well, there is, and of course, I'm not an expert <laughs> by any means, but you know when you learned in grade school that there's like different species and there's genus and there's families and all that kind of categorization? Remember that? Yeah. Okay. Well, there's a family called camelid. And under camelid, there are like camels. And then there are llamas. And under llama, and when we're talking about llama, we're talking about just L-A-M-A. -A. That's a category. Then underneath the L-A-M-A -A are like five or six different categories of these animals. And one of them is llama, which is L-L-A-M-A, -A, which is what I've been talking about. Another one is like vicuna, guanaco, um, I'm probably mispronouncing them, but there's one that starts with an H and then there's alpaca. And so the alpaca is like much smaller in some cases, three fourths to maybe half the size of a full grown llama. Um, the llamas have more of a larger triangular head where the alpaca is a little more condensed, more rounded or kind of square, square ish. Um, and the llamas are a lot more independent than the alpacas. Alpacas are a lot more herd orientated. They definitely want to stick with their own herd where, um, and this is just kind of my experience, what we've kind of had. We've had a couple, I don't know, maybe five or six different alpacas throughout the years. And they're just a little bit harder to pull out, you know, from a group to want to try to work with them individually, where llamas, they tend to be a little more, especially if you have like one or two, you can just pull them out and you can work with them a little bit easier. Um, llamas are actually extremely intelligent animals, and that's what makes them really good guards as well. Um, they get really attached to their group, and we've sold um, guards to people for sheep, for cattle, for goats, for chickens, um, oh. for, I'm trying to think what else, um, somebody just had some ducks and so they wanted to put a, a garden with them. Um, even there have been some people that put them with horses. Um, so actually, I mean, anything that is a grazer, a guard llama would probably good, be good for them. Wow. So it doesn't necessarily matter because I guess my original understanding was they had to go in with something that was more of like a flock animal or um, because they themselves would probably be considered to be like a flock animal, but they'll go in with any group then? 
From our experience, I mean, they will bond with any other animal. Yeah. So those are the species that we've, you know, sold guards um, to people that have wanted to put them with, and they've all worked out fine. So, yeah. Now, the thing is, llamas themselves can't be alone. They are a herd-orientated animal. They can actually get depressed, and then they can turn mean. So, you know, sometimes you may see, and this is where llamas, I know one of the questions is about the spitting thing. Um, this is where llamas get a really bad rep, rep or rap or whatever. Um, llamas should not come up to a person and just spit on them. It's a defense mechanism. There's something wrong with that llama. It's like a, it's like a dog just coming up to you and biting you on the leg. They should not do that. So something has, you know, been wrong in their environment or in their upbringing or how they were handled. Maybe they were mishandled or overhandled. Maybe their mother died and they were bottle fed as a young, especially like um, males. You can hear of this where, you know, the male berserk syndrome, and it is a thing, it can happen, um, where they just are too, well, I mean, sheep do this too. If you are overly too lovey and, and, you know, have them run up to you and you like kiss them and do all this, you know, they can, as they grow up, this, they don't understand, you know, space and, and you know, respecting a human. And so they want to be with you and they like, it can turn aggressive. It can turn, you know, into a really bad thing. Like a needy girlfriend. Could be. <laughs> <laughs> Could be. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, Jake was actually like that for a little bit with me. He's kind of a, a male's llama. Sometimes llamas will do this. They'll prefer males or they'll prefer females. Well, for a while there, when I was home, when I told you about, you know, I was working on the farm with my husband, um, it was my job to feed them. And Jake, that winter, got a little bit, like, he wanted to get in my space, my personal space, especially when I had a bucket of feed and I was walking in the little pasture and going up to his building to feed them. And it actually got to the point where he thought he could be the dominant one and he thought he could just push me around. And so he would come up to me and just kind of, you know, swing his back end and kind of, you know, do that kind of thing. And I got mad at him one day and we got up into the little building and I actually just took my whole body and I just shoved it into him and he slammed into the side of the building and he stopped and he realized at that moment, Oh, I shouldn't be doing this. And from actually from, from till this day, he respects me. He respects, you know, and gives me a little bit of space. So, I mean, it can be corrected definitely, but a lot of times people don't want to do that to an animal. They think it's, you know, cruel or something where no, it's actually just part of their training. They need, llamas really need to respect your space. They should not just come up and get into your face, you know, overly aggressive. 
Now, that being said, we have a few here that they're very friendly and they do love to come up and say hello to people and they'll put their faces right over the fence, you know, if we have visitors or things and they love children. Um, they will never like come up and just spit at you. That's what I'm talking about. That should sure. never occur. Um, the spitting part is like, yeah, I've been spat on. It's happened like during breeding time or if I'm in between a couple of llamas that are like fighting over food. So it's more like it's my problem. <laughs> I should have known better. I shouldn't have been in that spot. Mm. So, yeah. So, I mean, llamas spit, but they usually spit at each other. And some people don't realize, you know, the dynamics of it and what's going on. And you know, llamas sometimes, you know, you move them around or you get them in a different spot. There's like a pecking order. And so sometimes they'll be just asserting their, you know, their station and their group. So, yeah. <laughs> so I suppose then, then it's kind of like a dog in a way, right? Where you, when you get a, a puppy or you get a dog at all and you kind of have to establish those boundaries and that structure of this is our relationship as me being kind of I guess owner versus animal so not necessarily a mean thing but just kind of not permitting them to overstep those boundaries so that they think that they're on the same playing field exactly that's a perfect example that people will probably understand the best yes okay um now when you're utilizing them as the for the, for a guardian so let's say that you're somebody who has a flock or has some ducks or whatever and you want to utilize a guardian lives or livestock guardian llama what makes them like a positive choice over something like like a dog or like even uh donkeys and things like that so the reason why we really like um, guard llamas is, I mean, that's their, that's their purpose. Even, you know, if we have a group of, of llamas, there's always going to be one or two that they're just like always like watching, paying attention, and they're like wanting to protect the herd. So um, they aren't natural predators. Llamas are just wanting to protect their people, their animals, their herd. Um, Dogs are actually, naturally, they're predators. They will go out and hunt, you know, and they sometimes don't always pay attention to the group that they're supposed to be with because they have these natural tendencies to hunt and and go off and do other things. Um, And as far as like, Donkeys too. I don't have a lot of experience with donkeys, but I have heard that um, they. I don't, and I. I suppose I shouldn't say anything because I don't have firsthand knowledge. But um, I've just heard that they also have those sort of tendencies where they can go off and not always pay attention. Okay, so they just exert a little too much independence. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then with dogs too um 
Now, when I met you at the Iowa Sheep and Wool Festival this year, we were speaking with another gentleman who was talking about incident rates. Exactly. So, um, uh, I guess, well, can you explain kind of what, what the in, incident rates like mean among less? So he was telling us that there was a study at, what, what was it, the University of Missouri, and I'd love to find this and, and have it in my arsenal for some, and read it all myself. But he said that there was a study with llamas and dogs and donkeys and where they actually studied, you know, incident rates, meaning times when they would like attack the animals that they were supposed to be guarding. Am I correct? Right? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. And I mean, llamas were the best. They had the lowest incident rate. What was it? I don't even remember the numbers. It was like hardly anything. Yeah. Yeah. And then it was donkeys and then it was dogs. So, you know, here's the thing. Um, I remember him telling us, you want your guard to protect your animals, but also when they have babies. And yeah, that's right. Remember that? Yeah. Remember, and and then I shared about our guard llama and how he was with cattle. Um, But dogs, you know, this if a llama has a baby or any any animal has a baby, this is like a new um, creature that they feel is a threat, and so. I think this study showed that dogs will attack those newborn babies and kill them because they are like a new thing in in their group and they won't allow it. Mm. No, I'm not, you know, I'm not saying, and I don't think this was saying that all dogs would do that, but the study showed that dogs had the highest rate of that. Yeah. And I think that what he said is it's, it's effectively like, putting the wolf in with the sheep because they are like a natural predator of mm-hmm. sheep or in their ancestry line, which of course, right. I mean, every dog is different, but I have heard of incidents of, you know, livestock guardian dogs turning on the livestock, um, you right. know, killing members of the flock, yeah. things like that. Yeah. So exactly. Yeah. I thought so, that was really interesting. Definitely. So we had, and he's, he's gone now, but we had a guard llama. His name was Danny boy. And he, this was our first one that did a really great job. He would actually, we put him in with the cattle and there was like a, a small hill. If he couldn't see everybody on one side of, you know, if they were scattered, he would like herd them and put them all so he could sit at the top of the hill and he could see them all. So he, he wanted, he, you know, it was like he knew his job was to protect these animals. Also, when a cow was having a calf, he would like either lay down and just watch intently and make sure that everything was okay and nothing would come. Or I also saw him like, you know, walk around kind of the perimeter but of the animal, but sometimes that would make the cow nervous. And I think he knew that. And so most of the time he would just like cush, which is sit down and he would just sit there and just watch until that newborn calf was born and up. 
he would stay right there and make sure that they were okay. So, I mean, he was worth his weight in gold. Also, I saw him one day, the calves, they were newborn calves. They were getting a little too close to, to the electric fence. He actually got in between them and the electric fence and herded them away from it. So oh, wow. he was awesome. There was also a day when we were trying, you know how animals are sometimes, even though you maybe have done it a million times, we were bringing them up from one pasture up to um, the barn to work on them. And they didn't want to walk down this hill and go through this fence, this gate, um, even though they had done it several times. So Danny was just up with the cattle. Once he realized and watched us and knew what we wanted, he actually ran to the front of the herd and he led them down the hill and through the gate. So it was like, oh my gosh, it, moments like that are just like, wow. Yeah. And we never trained him. He just instinctively knew what was going on. So when I say llamas are intelligent, there are some examples for you. Yeah. They can, they can be very intelligent. Now, on the other hand, you know, we have some dogs here in the farm and one of our dogs, she's actually very dark colored. We call her blonde because she's just like always a party girl. She's, <laughs> she's not attentive at all. There are some llamas that just would not make good guards and we just kind of learn about them and know that. And, and, you know, so it really, sometimes it's hard for people coming in. They may want to see, you know, all of the llamas and go, Oh, well, that was beautiful. I love that one. I'd love that one. But it's like, I'm sorry, I can't sell that to you. That's just not going to be a good guard. So yeah. So sometimes you really need to just trust the people that, you know, they know that llama and that it will do a good job for you. Yeah. Well, that kind of actually leads me right into the next question. So how does one choose a llama? Like, how do you know which one is right for you? Well, you know, here's the thing. We're around them all the time. We're out there walking among them. We're observing them. We're watching them. Um, we handle them. Um, you know, we kind of know them firsthand. And we try, now we don't with everybody, but we try to check in with people that we sell guards to and find out how they're doing. And we've kind of learned throughout the years that which ones do the best job. And sometimes it's those llamas that are horrible to work with that <laughs> seriously, the ones that are like a real pain to halter um, that actually are the best guards. So it kind of depends what you want. You know, if you live next to, you know, an area that you know, there are predators, there are natural predators like coyotes or whatever. Um, you know, you should get a llama that is not going to be your friend. You want it to do that job of guarding for you. Um, and of course there are other things you can do to help yourself. Um, you know, as far as with your herd management, you know, you probably will want to try to keep them away from the timber area if you can, you know, maybe your sheep, if you have sheep, 
you know, maybe you're going to bring them in at night into the barn. You know, there are things like that that will help the, um, you know, guard llamas are not always 100%, but the ones that we've had back, like in the timber with the cattle, um, the ones that have done the best are those kind of llamas that are really hard to handle, that are a little aloof, that, you know, you can't pet their head. They are the ones that are going to do the best job for you. So it kind of depends, you know, what do you want them for? And do you want them, you know, to be another animal that you can, you know, pet and, you know, love on that kind of thing? Then, you know, then you probably will want a more friendly animal, which we have some of those too. So. Yeah. <laughs> So you kind of, you want something that has that sense of independence from people so that, I mean, then, you know, it's, it's primary focus is going to be doing its job. It's not really going to be thinking about interaction. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you know, you also want to, I mean, it has to be a balance, you know, you want to be able to get that animal and you want to, you know, worm them, for example. So when I tell you about, you know, Danny boy and what a great guard he was, he was really hard to catch. So you have to be smarter, you know, than the average llama. <laughs> what we ended up doing was we would take Jake, who was our friendly llama. We would put Jake in the back of a trailer, hook up the trailer to the pickup, and we would drive the pickup down to where the cattle were. And we'd have Jake tied up in the back of the trailer. We would open the back end of the trailer and Danny boy would see him. He would come running and he would jump into the trailer <laughs> and we were there waiting. We would shut the trailer. Then my husband would just go in and I'd go into and, you know, we'd check him out, make sure he was okay. And um, we'd have a syringe. We'd give him a shot. And, you know, we'd trim his toenails if we needed to, although his were really great. Some of them don't need it very often. And that's all we did. And then we would open up the back end of the trailer. He'd jump out and go back with his herd of cattle. So, <laughs> yeah. So sometimes you have to, you know, know what the animal's limitations are and try to work within that a little bit too. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, with that, I guess that's, that uh, leads me to another question, which is, so if they, you know, like each other and they are a herd animal, now, is it something where you ever want to have more than one in with your flock or is it better to just have one? Well, what we recommend is for each group, and I'm sorry, my dog, Annie, she's a beagle. <laughs> She just heard outdoors the dogs barking, so she's now like doing this little howling thing. So okay. I apologize. <laughs> That's life on the farm, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> we have animals everywhere. Okay. So anyway, she'll eventually stop. I'm sorry. That's okay. No, don't worry about it. <laughs> all right. So what was the question again? Because now okay. I'm all off track. Better to have just one llama in with the flock or to do more than one? Okay. Annie. That's enough. Stop. <laughs> I know. Good girl. You're just woofing. Good girl. 
normally doesn't go on like this. So, you know, it just, she wants to know, she wants people to know that she's here too. I know. Yeah. My, my dog too does the same thing. Like, especially like, so I work from home and sometimes they have to be on the phone and all of a sudden yes. the UPS guy shows up and it's, Oh no, here we go. Exactly. Exactly. So anyway, we recommend that however you're going to have your animals grouped, for example, like with sheep, if you're going to have, you know, a certain amount of ewes together, you need to have one llama for that group. Then if you're going to have another group, like with a ram or two, you know, then have another guard llama with that group. Now, it depends on your own situation and what you have going on and how much protection you think you need. Um, but that's what you should do. And some llamas are okay with mixing it up, you know, with going with somebody else once in a while. Some llamas don't like to change. So we've had people say, um, we had this llama with a group and this llama with a group, and then we just switched things up and they ended up being with different groups and they were not happy. We put them back with their original groups and then they were good to go. So they can actually bond that close with their animals that they want to be with that group of animals. Mm. So yeah, it's very interesting. Um, also, I would never put two llamas together because they'll end up being with each other and playing and running and paying more attention to each other than the herd that you want them to guard. Oh. So that's just been in our experience. So yeah, guard llamas, they have a job. They should, you know, want, they should want to be with their group. Now we've had um, a person that we sold things to. They had, two llamas and they were actually best buddies and they put them like side by side and it was kind of a hard adjustment for them to be apart. And so they like, you know, walked the fence line uh-huh. and wanted to be with each other and were having a fit and they never bonded with their groups. So we suggested that they put an, like another pasture or space in between them. So they weren't, you know, right beside each other. And then they were just fine. So yeah, they just, the initial part of going in with a group, they really need to be with their group and just bond with that group. And then after that, and I think it was like five or six months later, she ended up having them side by side again. And they never did that again. They like paid attention to their group. Okay. They just needed that transition time. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. That's, this is really, really interesting. Um, now, what? when did you guys decide to start doing sheep? Was it pre-llama or post-llama? It was post-llama. <laughs> um, yeah. My husband, well, we have a dear friend of ours that she loved sheep and, but she didn't want sheep because she couldn't stand the thought of, you know, like having these sheep and loving them and then sending them to market. So she actually was the one that got us thinking about the fiber sheep. And so it was at, um, in Minnesota, we were at a show and there were some people there that had CVMs. And so that's where we first found out about CVMs. 
And so we, my, they're adorable lambs, by the way, which most lambs are. I mean, they are just so cute. You fall in love with them. And my husband was like, I'm going to get our friend Becky. She's going to get these, a couple females. I'm going to get a ram. And I'm going, oh my gosh, whatever. They're yours. They're yours. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not doing anything with sheep. They're yours. And to be honest, the... Of course, you know, we ended up getting sheep. The sheep actually make us more money than the llamas do. So, oh, yeah. so the, yeah, the, there have been some years our sheep actually pay for the llamas. So, yeah. Wow, I would just, not have guessed depends. that. But then last year, we had our biggest year ever in llama sales. And so that blew that, you know, all out of the, the ballpark so it just you know like everything in farming it varies from year to year so yeah my cvm sheep i sell there we shear them in the spring like in march and i sell as many fleeces as i can on facebook and then i ship them out to I'm, oh my gosh i've i've shipped fleeces to alaska to texas to virginia to Oregon, to Washington, to Canada this year, um, Kentucky, Tennessee, just all over the country. So Facebook's been a really good place for me to move my product. Yeah. Well, yeah. And CVMs are considered, which CVM is the California Variegated Mutant. And are they the, they're the non-colored version of Rommeldale? Is that right? No, they are the colored version. The colored version, okay. Right. Ramadale is white. Okay. And then the and they're actually you can end up having both in your flock if you have some um, Ramadale genetics there. Um, most of ours are primarily the colored though, and that's where it gets fun. I mean, there's. All different shades of silver and gray and red and brown. There's a moret brown, which is like is like a bright or not a bright, like a light colored brown, kind of a taupey beigey um, that you can't dye. You know that color. Then there's milk chocolate. Then there's like a dark chocolate. Then there's black, and you know everything in between. So it's really kind of fun. Yeah. And I guess that it makes sense too, that you'd be shipping them everywhere because my understanding is they're technically a heritage breed. So and right. they're still, I can't remember if they're, I think they're one of the critical ones, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, yes they are. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. And the breed standard um, micron size, I don't know if you're familiar with what a micron count is. Yes, I am. But I mean, you can feel free to over-explain sure. for people. So Okay. So micron count is actually the diameter of one hair. Um, and I purchased a micrometer myself. So oh. I actually, yeah. So what I do is when we shear our sheep, um, I have a, uh, a table like with chicken wire on it. And we lay out the fleece, so we see the cut side up, and we do a really light um, skirting 
just getting rid of, you know, any tags, that kind of thing. And I'll pull one little piece like from the prime area on their shoulder and I'll lay that out with a ruler and I'll have a card with the animal's name and number on it. And I'll take a picture of the whole fleece so you can see the color variation. And then I'll get a close up um, of that sample piece. And then what I'll do is as they're drying, because some years it takes two to three weeks to dry them out, um, other times just a week. Um, so I dry them before I weigh them because we, you know, sell it based on their weight. So we want to make sure that it's good and dry. Otherwise people think they're being, they would be cheated, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so then what I do is I bring in that sample and I will, with the micrometer, I will measure it and um, get a number. And the breed standard for CVM is between 21 and 25 microns. And most of our sheep are always below 25. This year though, and I don't know why, um, but I think weather has a lot to do with it. And the other breeders in our area that we talked to had the same thing happen. Um, the staple length, the length of, you know, the hair, how far it has grown out, was shorter this year, but the fleeces were finer. So almost all of my fleeces this last spring were 20 microns or under. Wow. Yeah. So that's, that's really nice. fine. That's really fine fleece. So yeah. <laughs> I know it's, it's, I love I mean, I understand how it can be very frustrating to not always have that consistency, you know, when you look at like a commercial yarn or something, you know, they're all relatively consistent, but there is something that's just so homegrown and so authentic about the fact that you can say, you know, we had this this year and these are the things that contributed, you know, this is what the weather was like, this is what the, how the plants grew in the pasture. This is exactly, this is the kind of stress they endured or didn't endure. And it's just really, it's, it's not an exact science. And I think that's what makes it so unique. I mean, as, you know, as somebody who can go and purchase that fiber, then you've really got something that, you know, is just unique to you really and what you've purchased. Yeah. And I have people that they love, you know, like one certain animal's fleece and they will ask for that every year. And so I have some people that have loved brownie. Um, I have had some people that have loved um, Molly's fleece and you know have continually come back um then there are some people that it's like ooh, i just want the really fine 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 you know fleeces and then there are other people i don't care i just want the color i just want a gray so it makes it kind of hard to know exactly you know what people will want but i mean it really makes me feel good when i have repeat customers I have people that I've been selling to now, you know, for the last, I think on Facebook, four or five years. Mm-hmm. And then I, I had several new people this year and they got their first fleece and they did some processing and I was like, oh, this is so luscious. I want more. And so they, they got another one or two fleeces. So 
Yeah. Because yeah. it means really... somebody really gets what you do and that they appreciate what you do and the way that you do it. And there's, I don't think there's a whole lot that can make up for that feeling of just, you know, right. I understand the differences. I understand what can happen. And I still, you know, love what you're doing and the product that comes out of it anyway. Exactly. Like, I don't think you can get much of a better compliment than that. <laughs> so that's, that's what I think too. Absolutely. <laughs> that's, that's so cool. So do you guys, do you guys do whatever any, um, blending of your llama with your CBM at all? I have, and I've learned, I actually learned a lot, um, this year talking to some people, um, I'm not, I wasn't real happy with how I had been blending it and I'm, I'm learning as I go to. So staple length actually is a thing where you should probably be matching up your staple length of the raw fiber for llama and for sheep. And, and that will help it to be smoother because what happens is if you have two totally different fibers, fiber types, different lengths coming together, there's going to be like, you know, they won't be as smooth. They won't blend together as nicely. And so you'll get, you know, hairs that'll stick out or it'll seem like you have like the sticky woolly yarn. So yeah, so I'm, I'm really excited for this next year to kind of match up. Um, some of my sheep fleeces to comparable lengths. And also, you know, if you can get micron count to be similar, that also is a thing. And to be honest, a lot of llama hair isn't as fine as the CVM. Sure. Um, we have one or two animals that their micron count for the llama fiber, um, it's between 25 and 28. So that's super fine for llama. A lot of llama will be up around 30 or even 40 or 50. So, yeah. And so because we're not as standardized with the llamas, you really have to look at each individual fleece and look at its qualities and merits and then match it up with something else that's going to blend well. Sure. Yeah. yeah, And I think that, I mean, there's nothing about that that doesn't speak to the common sense part of my brain. So, Well, I'm learning too. I mean, when we first started in these animals, I'm going, oh my gosh, you know, I just want to sell it and, you know, be off with it. I'm never, and I, I told myself this, and, and you know, whenever I say this to myself, I should know better. I know better now. Because whenever I say this, I'm never going to learn to do whatever it is. I'm just not doing that. I end up doing it (laughs) every time. So that's how it was with spinning, you know, making yarn. I said, I'm not going to do that. It's like, a, you know, it's a lot of money. It's time. It's, oh my gosh, I'm just not going to do it. Oh my gosh. If I could like have all the time in the world and just sit and spin, I would love it. <laughs> it's, it's so relaxing, you know? So yeah. So, so you know, I, I figured out quickly that if I was going to sell yarn or sell fleece or sell to people, I need to be able to talk to them about it and understand it. And so in order to sell it, 
you know, you have to work with it yourself and you have to kind of know and, and talk the lingo. And so, you know, I've, and that's why I got more into it because I just couldn't talk to people about it. Cause I, I don't know. Yeah. So, it yeah. challenges you, but not in a it bad does. way. It so, does. Yes. I think that's really neat. Well, honestly, so it, we're rounding on about an hour and I, probably could talk to you for maybe six more of them but just for the sake of letting you have some free time um what do you guys do you guys have anything coming up uh in the future any events anything like that so i mean we have done um in the, i when my kids were in 4-h i was really involved and we had like open farms, open pastures, you know, and, and we did a lot of things. We had a lot of different other families that came in and then my kids kind of grew up and then I went into teaching and I really don't have as much time to do all those things. And it just hasn't been as efficient for, for us. Mm -hmm. So we don't really have a lot of events on our farm. We just do a lot of private sales as we end up doing. And, and I go to, I've kind of pared it down just to the one. I do the Iowa Sheep and Wool. Yeah. And that's where I met you. Yeah. And yes. So, and that's a great show, a great festival. Um, you know, people can go and learn anything that they want to learn. There are classes, there are sheep there. There are people just, you know, to make friends with and to learn from. So I really enjoy going to that and doing that. And so I, I would assume that I'm going to continue with that. I've already got my vending in for next year. So, All right. <laughs> yes. So that's kind of where we're at. I'd love to, you know, I've kind of toyed with the idea of having just a small little farm store. Um, and just do that, you know, post when I'm going to have it open, you know, maybe a couple of times, you know, a month or more in the summer. Um, but we're just not quite there. Um, and so also, you know, if people are wanting, you know, oh, you know, if, if somebody's decided they want a guard llama and they're like, I want to contact her. We don't have a lot of guard llamas right now. We're pretty much sold out right now. Oh, wow. Yeah. And we, um, it takes about a year and a half, you know, from their, when they're born for them to be ready to go. So it's not a quick turnaround time either. So we're having, you know, some babies this year. Um, we've got a couple that, that we still have from last year, but, um, and I mean, we've also gone the route of, you know, taking rescues and doing that kind of thing over the years. And some of them have been good experiences where they've turned out to be good guards. Some of them have not. So, you know, that you're really um, just taking a chance. So, yeah, I mean, you just have to, um, I mean, you can contact us and see if we have anything available, but guards are something that, I mean, I wouldn't tell people just to jump into it, you know, really research it, think about it, you know, um, what do you want the llama to do for you? You know, what animals, um, you know, and I mean, llamas, I mean, they can be wonderful pets too. They can be animals that could go on hikes and walks with you. A lot of them pack. 
Um, you know, there's a lot more than just guard llamas. So it, it really just depends, you know, what do you want them to do and to be, um, you know, why do you want one? If you want one to, you know, love on and have as a pet and a friend, I mean, there are good and healthy ways that you can do that. Um, and there are some animals that would be, that are wonderful. And we've had them for that as well. Um, we've had, um, and llamas being so intelligent, um, you know, they know, they know, I don't know how to put this and not sound crazy, but they know kind of what you need. You know what I mean? We've had, we've had families with autistic children come and normally, you know, we couldn't go up to a llama and go pet them. We had a llama cush, sit down and let that autistic child come and sit by them. And that child was like hugging them and petting them and walking all around them and they were still and safe and you know where normally we tell and we train people not to ever walk around the backside of a llama you know you don't want to get kicked by accident mm -hmm. but i mean they they are just very intelligent animals so yeah. that's amazing so <laughs> amazing so if somebody does want to you know find you guys i mean is there a place online that they can look you up or sure um our website is kind of not, I mean, it's still existent, but we don't really do much with it right now, but they can email us. That would probably be the best thing. Um, also, something else that people maybe don't realize or don't know, there are mama organizations out there and they have, you know, things to read about llamas. Um, and there are a lot of people um, in the Midwest that also have llamas that have guards that even though we don't have any, there are other people that do. Um, so the organization that we belong to is called Midwest Llamas. And so if you just go online, like to Google and just type in Midwest Llamas and go there, there is a wonderful website. There's a list of all the different members. Um, so if you know, if we don't have llamas, other people can. Um, our email address is Wolf Creek Farm, W O L F C R E E K F A R M dot I A, because we're in Iowa, at gmail.com. Okay, perfect. Well, I'll make sure to set up links for all of those as well as um, to your Facebook too, because I know you guys yes. have put stuff on there. Um, but Brenda, thank you so much for kind of welcome. running us through this and teaching us so much. Yes, you are welcome. As always, you can find links to everything that we talked about in today's show on the show notes on my website. Again, that's www.woolanddye.com slash podcast. Also too, if you're listening via iTunes, if you're able to leave a review, it's really helpful to other listeners who are looking for podcasts or might be interested in, you know, listening to something like this. So any sort of feedback, again, would be greatly appreciated. Until next time. <laughs>